What an absolute time to be alive. Welcome to the Virtus Performance Podcast for another week. For all you guys that have been diving in week after week after week, a big fat cheers to you. Give yourself a pat on the back. I appreciate every listen, every share, uh, every subscription. It's awesome. It's very, very cool to see this community growing, more people listening and learning and starting conversations and all that kind of good stuff. Today's episode uh, is with the lovely Jessica Redmayne. So Jess is an actor by trade. Uh, She's also a bit of a legend. She's done a heap of cool shit. She's been on a couple of cool TV shows. Uh, She's been a member of High Five, which is awesome, and I just realized I didn't actually ask her to sing any songs, so I'm really upset about that. Uh, She Also, we spent a fair bit of time uh, talking about dementia um, as she's her mother is um, has been diagnosed with dementia for about five years ago now um, so she's been dealing with the regressions and and has been caring for her mum uh, with her with her old man for the last uh, last five or so years so yeah we dove pretty deep into that and what talked about what it was like and, and talked a little bit about I guess the research and what they're what they're doing to hopefully find a cure for this absolutely insane insane disease so yeah a lot about brain health a lot about positivity uh we talked a fair bit about jess growing up and about what how she got into what she's doing and then yeah a lot about her mum. so without further ado let's get stuck in My personal and business goal is to be just a little bit better every day. I believe everyone, especially normal people, have a story to tell. The Virtus Podcast exists to help us all find small ways of consistent improvement by discussing the journey and experiences of each of our guests. start recording in January. Awesome. And we're going to record it all and then release it. What's the premise of it? Um, the, that <laughs> tricky question. We're targeting, it's, it's for, <clears throat> for females basically, yeah. um, and it's it'll be directed at like females younger than us, so it's me and another girl I was in high five with, and she's 24, I'm 26, and we're basically just going to talk about Performance anxiety, audition techniques, um, conquering all of that kind of stuff, but as well as a heap of other stuff. So we'll touch on this kind of stuff a little bit. And, um, yeah, it's very broad. But but we have – that's what we're doing at the moment is we're trying to find what ties it all together. Yeah. Because we want it to have a purpose, not just be talking to a microphone and then expect people to listen. Yeah, I hope people listen. <laughs> people listen. Riley said it's really popular, you, that yours is. Mum listens. Yeah. I know a couple of friends' mums who have been on the podcast, like, they listen. Yeah. Um, that's about it, I think. <laughs> it goes all right, I hope. I don't know. We're recording already, so hopefully hopefully people are really? enjoying us talking rabble. And we will touch on the fact that you dropped that you're in high five. So self self praise, good from oh, you. Oh, thanks for that. First question for you, Jessica. Mm-hmm. What gets you out of bed in the morning? My loved ones. Oh, good. 
Elaborate. I should have thought of that before we went on because some, that was a huge some gap. Don't know the the early the first question. Some people do. You were one of the ones that know it. <laughs> I know, and, and I you still didn't prepare sure. myself. Elaborate, elaborate on that. Talk to me about your loved ones. Uh, I think I do a lot of things. This is so deep. I was not anticipating this. Um, I think I do a lot of things in my life because of the way I was raised. Yeah. And for the sake of a better word, um, expectations. Not that, you know, my parents expect anything of me, but we do things to make them proud. Um, we go to work to make money to create a life for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so I think if I didn't get out of bed in the morning, um, I there'd be a sense of guilt in there, which yeah. all ties back to, cool. yeah, my loved ones. Yeah. I like that. Because you almost feel like you're letting them down because they've yeah. given you and given us the opportunities to experience this crazy fucked up world we get to experience. Definitely. And if you didn't make the most of it, then you'd be letting them down to a point. Mm. And I think they spend, particularly parents, they spend so much, such a long time investing in us. I know my parents did. They invested, my mum did, invested yeah. in me. And so it's kind of... Um, Paying it back, kind of. Yeah, that's scenario. cool. Yeah. That's that's uh, that's an, a unique answer to that question. So good from you. Very very good. From you. <laughs> What's um so <clears throat> once you do get out of bed and mm-hmm. you start paying it back, how are you paying it back to them at the moment? What what are you doing with your existence? Uh well, I just bought an apartment back in May. Um, that was a big goal to tick off, I awesome. think, um, in life. Um, but I, I'm constantly auditioning for stuff. Um, obviously, I go to work and pay my mortgage. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that, like that's the kind of stuff in general that I'm doing yep. when I wake up. Um, I, I, there's always something to do. I'm always busy. <laughs> good. Is busy a good thing? Oh, yeah, interesting question because yeah. I've been thinking about that a lot lately that uh, having too much on your plate and burning out is almost worse than not being busy at all. Yeah. So you got to find that balance, I think. You do, yeah. And then I think, like, I've used a term before on here, it's like you have a season, like you have a season where you're head down, bum up, hustling, getting stuff done. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh... You know, you're just putting yourself out there, big expansion phase, and then you kind of need to have those seasons where you're like contraction phase and you're like filling your cup and looking after yourself and just being okay with what you've got. Mm, taking um, a step back and appreciating what you've worked hard for. Yeah. Which I find hard to do, to be honest. I If I sit down for five minutes, I go, why am I sitting down? <laughs> you know, you, you do have to reflect on what you've achieved. I really struggle to do that. I don't know why, you, why do you think you struggle? Because I'm always looking forward. I never look back. Yeah. And I think people constantly remind me. I had a man at work. This is kind of irrelevant. But I had a man at work say to me a couple of weeks ago, you own an apartment in Elstonwick and you are on TV. <laughs> and I thought, and I was really offended by that because yeah. I thought, is that the be all and end all? Yeah. Uh, like that is not, like that particular day, I was having a rough day because of um, what we're about to talk yeah. about. But, um... I just thought I couldn't believe that he would put it down to 
two very materialistic things. Yeah. Like, being on TV doesn't make your life. Like, honestly. Ugh, Mate, you've just, made it. Yeah, but not at all. That's just, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting how different people perceive what that means. Yeah. Yeah, it was like that whole, I think it's a, it might be a Jim Carrey quote. It's like, I, I hope everyone becomes rich and famous so they can realise it's not the answer. <sighs> That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think it's really easy to, like the grass is always greener, right? Like you look yeah. at someone who's successful, and I just did the air quotes. You know, we're not videoing it. I just did the air quotes. Um, people that are successful and you're like, oh, they've got it all, but they deal with the same shit we deal with. And like that's pain and suffering and hardship is... A, I guess a, a series in everyone's life. Like it's not just the people that are, you know, regular people, um, for lack of a better term. So mm. I think it's an important understanding to have the people that you may look at and go, they've made it. They deal with the same shit we do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What, <clears throat> what's it like? I know I just said it's not made it, but what's it like living that lifestyle and having people have those expectations or those um, presumptions? about what you do? Um, I think it can be tricky because you do have to have... People always ask me, what's next? What are you filming now? And yeah. I'm no different to the next person. I got one break, you know. I Well, I did high five and then I went on to the show, but I still... I finished filming at the end of August last year and then as of you know, the next day, I was unemployed again. And I think people really forget that, that, like you said, we're no different to anyone else. You still have to go out and work hard and fight for the next thing. And so ever since, it's been a year now, over a year, and I've been auditioning, like, heaps since then. Yeah. But the act, the acting industry is very, like, it's so particular that you need to fit a brief you know, to a T, you need to be that character so specifically. And that might not happen again for another 5, 10, 15 years. Uh, You just kind of have to play it out. So you've got to have a – you've got to create a life. Around it. Around it, or even before that. I've always sort of lived with – ever since leaving uni, I realised that you need to build a foundation – of a life where you are content and you are you are happy with that life yeah. and then you attempt to be an actor or a performer or a singer musician no matter what craft mm. it is because if you continue if you live a life where you're unhappy but you're continually striving to be a successful actress or whatever it may be yeah i don't think you'll really find happiness in it yeah because, yeah, like I said, I mean, filming finished and I was unemployed again. But I was more than happy to come back to my life in Australia. And, you know, because I loved my life before filming yeah. and I loved it after filming. That's, so. that's pretty cool because then, <clears throat> then all of the things you achieve or don't achieve, you're, you're not putting your happiness in things you can't control. Mm-hmm. And it's like everything that you are is different to what you do when, when people ask you like what do you do what's your answer interesting it depends who I'm talking to yeah so prior to working on 800 words I I often wouldn't say that I'm an actor because I wasn't an actor yeah. I wasn't a paid actor yeah 
which a lot of people, actually 90% of actors, and again, air quotes, are unpaid actors. So only 10% are paid in Australia. Wow. So prior to that, I would say that I'm an event manager, which I am. I'm a freelance event manager. But when there's not events, so, you know, when it's in the middle of winter, there's very few events. So I waitress. So I I work in hospitality to fill the gaps and I still do that. And I'll probably, I might be doing that for the rest of my life. Who knows? But, um, I'll often say I'm a freelance event manager. Um, and I perform, I'm an actor, but now depending on who, what circles I'm moving in, I will say that I'm an actor. Good. Do you, have you always been a performer? Yeah. Yeah. What was it like? Like, what were your hopes, dreams, ambitions growing up? <laughs> when I was when I was really young, I was uh, incredibly self-absorbed and thought, if I'm not famous by 18, <laughs> then oh, I'll never make it. <laughs> um, so I, as a child, I seeked fame. And then I became an adult and realised fame is not what I wanted at all. Yeah. Um, I wanted to pursue music theatre, so I went to uni and I studied musical theatre. Awesome. Um, But throughout studying, I realised that not only was I not completely cut out to be that person, my singing wasn't as strong as the rest of my class Mm -hmm. and all that sort of um, stuff, but... I also thought, where's the longevity in this? If I, Because I was a dancer, I danced for 20 years. If I broke my leg tomorrow, mm. what am I going to do? Yeah. And in the same breath, I was loving acting classes. I just absolutely loved it. I, I doubled my acting classes. I enjoyed it so much. And so when I left uni, I decided to do more uh, courses in film and television specifically. Um, and so then I went and pursued that avenue so it really has it's changed a lot over the course of you know 15 20 years went from wanting to be famous to wanting to be singer dancer on broadway to (laughs) now pursuing acting in all realms when did you start to realize that if i break my leg tomorrow you know i'd have to do something else because that's something that's fairly it takes a fair bit of self-awareness to you know kind of not not that you weren't all in, but to kind of go, well, I need to have things fall back on. It's like, you know, the from a sporting example, the guys that follow a sport their entire life and then get to the time where they might get drafted or might get picked up and they don't. And then it's like, oh, shit, what's next? Did, mm. Was that a, a big realisation for you or was it something you worked on as you grew up? Uh, I, think, I think it was a big realisation because I danced all my life and yeah. I really relied on it. Um, I thought that I would dance for the rest of my life. Uh, so I think I was roughly 2021. 20, I was in my second or third year at uni. And as soon as I made the realisation, I put all of my energy into my acting because I thought I could still be an actor when I'm 80. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully. Hopefully. Um, and I just loved it more than I ever loved dancing, which That's cool. was very interesting yeah. considering I danced for so long. Was that a struggle to go to make that realisation I love acting just as much or if not more than dancing? Um, I don't know if it was a struggle immediately, but I now um, I now go and watch performances of dancers and I really have such a yearning to dance and such a, a slight 
bit of regret, I think. But then the logical part of me goes, <laughs> mm, I think I made the right choice. Yeah. yeah. You think? <laughs> I think. I, God, I love... There's going to be some days where you're like, no, I made the wrong choice. Some days where you're like, yeah, yeah I of course. Right choice, right? Like, I constantly want to go to a dance class and it, it ties in with... Um, self-confidence and all of that because when you're an actor you go into an audition and you're the only person in that room when you're a dancer you go into an audition and there's a hundred versions of you yeah so it's that 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 yeah Yeah. that had a lot to play with the decision as well I think because I just didn't believe that I was the best dancer in the room (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah that's 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 really interesting does has that like self um, self-confidence and belief in, in you changed since you moved from dancing to acting and what, where, does it, where do you kind of sit with it all now? They're very different. As, as an actor, I feel, um, <laughs> I guess my ego is a little bit bigger because yeah. I, f- I, because they're, they're such different things, right? Two dancers could dance next to each other and do the same choreography. Yeah. And one of them is always going to be better than the other. Whereas two actors could be next to each other performing the same script, but they're both going to bring different nuances. They're both going to be very different actors. Definitely. No one's the same as anyone else when it comes to acting. And I think that's why um, I feel far more confident as an actor than I do as a dancer. Yeah, cool. Mm. Yeah, I like that because then no matter, like you're going to be you no matter what. Yeah. It's not like... I guess with choreography, there's a certain parameters and certain um, bandwidth you've got to work with mm-hmm. here. Yeah. Whereas as an actor, you can be you, mm-hmm. even though you're being someone else. That's kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So <clears throat> before we start talking about all the other stuff, like what's, and I know you hate that question, like what's next, but what does your next like two, three, four years look like? Is it just auditioning and, and working and chugging along or...? Yeah, basically, um, as an actor, it's very much fear of the unknown because, for example, when I auditioned for... Well, I left High Five. Um, that was on the 24th of December, right? <laughs> and then I auditioned for 800 Words two weeks later. Yeah. Um, so I, I auditioned for 800 Words and then I was in New Zealand seven days later from auditioning that's cool so that's how quickly your life changes as an actor so I could audition for something next week and have to fly to (laughs) Vancouver or LA or you know that I doubt that that will happen anytime soon but But, um it's very much a chug along um situation and just adapt when it happens yeah do you you look at that like kind of lack of or fear of the unknown as a positive or a negative Positive. I think I pursue this career because I enjoy change and risk. Yeah. Um, because if I didn't, well, I hate a nine to five job. I've tried it and I cannot do it. <laughs> um, I can't do the same thing every day, five days a week. Yeah. I'm very. I often believe that I've got a bit of ADHD. Like <laughs> I just have to keep doing something different. Which is why event management is fantastic because yep. it's always different. One project then another. Yeah, one project yeah. then another. But um, what was the question? Uh, I can't <laughs> um, oh, positive or negative? Having that fear of, like, the unknown. fear of the unknown, yeah, and knowing things could change two weeks. So mm. that's positive. I think my with my posi- my personality rather, it's a positive. I can see why so many people would see it as a negative, though. Mm. 
Yeah, I guess it depends on what type of person you are, right? Like, yeah. I remember, like, slightly different example, but all through uni, I was in a course that didn't give you a job at the end. So it wasn't like teaching where you end up being a teacher or it wasn't like an accounting where you end up being an accountant. It was this kind of arts degree for people that like sport and exercise and stuff like that. So it was like <clears throat> something that I really struggled with for a couple of years. I used to complain about it and be like, you know, I don't know what to do and there's no direction and stuff like that. But I don't know whether it was just getting older and a little bit more mature and you get to the end of it and you're like, well, this is awesome because I've got all these different opportunities to to do. Like, mm. you know, I almost flipped and felt bad for the people in degrees with one thing you could do. Some people do yeah. four years of a degree and they go, oh, I don't really yeah. want to be a scientist or I don't really <laughs> want to be an accountant or whatever. And it's just, you know, for me, I had that blown wide open so it wasn't an issue. Yeah. And I imagine that you're the kind of person that feels the same way. Definitely. Whereas some people just like, I need to know what train tracks I'm on. Mm. Some people are just like, I just want to drive my car wherever. Mm. Mm. It's an interesting one. It is interesting. I think it's very, um, depends on your personality. Absolutely. Mm. Mm. And I think it's important to understand what kind of person you are because it helps you make all your decisions Mm. in life. Like we get a lot of students come through and through Virtus and kind of say, oh, I don't know what I want to do. Like, just think about it. What do you actually want to do? What do you want to spend your life doing? And then start to formulate decisions around that because if you're, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to be in hell if you're someone that likes structure and then does your does your job for for a living. Yeah. If you or vice versa, if you like, like you know, new things and change, then if you're in a nine to five job, it's going to be the worst thing ever. Mm-hmm. It's understanding your patterns. What was it like being high five? Oh gosh. How widespread does oh, this podcast go? <laughs> load, just load up. Uh, oh, this is totally honest. I yeah. went to that audition really not wanting the job. I didn't want to be in high five. <laughs> I wanted to be an actor, so yeah. I was dreading it. But then going back to that self-confidence thing, I walked in not caring, and so therefore I went into the dance call and I just... <laughs> nailed it because yeah. I, I didn't care yeah. and I I didn't have um, a desperation for the job yeah. um, and so I got the job and then it was four shows a day basically six days a week seven to eight weeks in a row in another country Hectic. and then you come home for a week or two and then go to another country and do it all again yeah and you're doing the same <laughs> songs in and out each show. Yeah. Um, and it just wasn't right down to my core wasn't what I wanted to be doing. Yeah. But I knew, however, that it was going to be a stepping stone, which is why I did it, obviously. Um, and it was, I don't think I would have gone on to the next thing if I hadn't have done yeah. High Five. Yeah. Um, I think that applies to a lot of actors. We do a lot of unpaid gigs. I know High Five was paid, obviously, but we do a lot of unpaid work to sort of build our CV to get to the next thing. It's very much a stepping yeah. stone career. Yeah, so you're never really going to fall into the thing you like. You love doing, but that goes for any any career, right? True. Like you've got to, yeah, really true. You've got to be at the I don't know bottom rung, or you've yeah. got to wade through the shit to get to the good stuff. You've got to sweep the you, floors to start with before yeah, you can. You've got you've yeah. got to earn the right to pick and choose what you want to do. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Which so, is, yeah, I mean, so many people would 
so many people would look at that and go, oh, my God, a high five, being in high five must have been amazing. And it was like, no, it well, was Well, especially like a nine five job, right? Doing the same songs over and over again. Well, yeah, it was. Yeah. But also you're, you're taken away from your family, your friends, your loved ones. You're put into um, a foreign country. Yeah. Um, and you've got to live there for mm. however long it may be. Uh, and <laughs> sing and dance for children. But, I mean, don't get me wrong, it wasn't all bad. It, yeah. I learned a hell of a lot. What, when, what was your, like, if you could kind of, like, stop and, and I know this might be hard for you because you're not that kind of person, if you could stop and, like, reflect and look back, what are the main learning experiences you had either about yourself or about your career or whatever? Um, gosh, I firstly learnt how not to run a business. <laughs> they won't be listening, don't worry. <laughs> Um, because they really, it was very poorly run. Um, gosh, I don't even know. I, I became very angry throughout that period of time. And it, it taught me, I said, I said to Lockie earlier for for podcastlessness, um, happiness lies in an atmosphere of growth. That's probably your best quote ever. And I... You claimed it for your own career. <laughs> no, I didn't. It's by Gretchen Rubin. Atmosphere of growth. I love that. I wrote I read, it down straight away. I read that book that it's from, uh, which is called The Happiness Project. I read that Shout while out to the I Happiness Project. <laughs> I read that while I was on tour. Yeah. Uh, because I was very unhappy, and so I needed something. I needed to find my happiness again, and so I realized. The biggest thing I took away from High Five was that money can't buy you happiness Um, because I was making money but I was not happy. I was very unhappy because I wasn't with my loved ones. I wasn't, you know, I was taken away from my partner from lot for long periods of times and that um, was a burden on our relationship because that was really tricky dealing with that. Um, And, yeah, it was just I wanted to be doing other things. It, and no matter how much money I was making, it didn't. I didn't yeah. care about that. So, what was the transition like from coming back and finishing that up on December twenty fourth? <laughs> like coming back to, I assume you love once for Christmas, mm-hmm. and then having your audition two weeks later. It was a, a huge weight off my shoulders because, um, bit of context, I had a six year contract, and did yeah, yeah, I I did one year, and I kind of tapped out. And, um, and left. Um, so, and I made myself physically ill making that decision um, yeah. because, again, it all came down to money. I was like, I could have six years of stability um, and at the end of it probably be set up for life. Yeah. Uh, and I said no to all of that, which was huge. It made me yeah, so... Yeah, Yeah, I was really nervous to, to turn it down. Um, but then when I'd finally made that decision and I couldn't turn back, I felt such relief. And so I came home and I spent that time with my family and and it was just lovely. And I think that's probably, that could be associated with why when the audition for 800 Words came about, I was fresh. I was feeling revived and, and rejuvenated. Yeah. And so I probably went into that, you know, guns are blazing already to go so the timing was probably good yeah mm. yeah when, when magical things happen the timing tends to be pretty good mm. that's that's good would you make you'd make exactly the same decision again yes good 
Definitely. Awesome. So what was it like getting that call or being told that you got the gig for 800 words? It was, I remember, <laughs> I was standing, I think Riley and I were about to go, oh, I was about to go and put resumes down Chapel Street. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, to get a hospitality job. And I went to open the front door and my phone rang and I saw that it was my agent and I just dropped everything and started shaking and went and sat down on the couch because I thought, here we go, this is going to be... Usually if it's a no, if you don't get the job, it'll be an email. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the phone rang and I sat down and I just... Rem- I was ecstatic. I was so excited. And I think that that physical uh, sensation of being excited probably lasted five to ten minutes and then logical me went you'll be unemployed in September (laughs) so it didn't last very long but I did I did obviously I was ecstatic for the next six to seven months of filming like it was so much fun um but yeah that that physical sensation didn't last very long it never does no (laughs) It's a good feeling when it happens, though. Yeah. Well, so what was it like going through that process? <clears throat> Did you allow yourself to detach from the fact that you knew you'd be unemployed again in September to just enjoying being there? And, yeah, I yeah. think so. Because uh, because there was the, the joy of the show actually airing. I had that to look forward to. Yeah. So, and I kind of, I also had the fact of coming home to look forward to. So I wasn't, I wasn't sad or disappointed or I didn't feel that at all when we finished filming. I was actually really excited to come home, yeah. um, which was good because we filmed it in New Zealand. Um, yeah. And then I, di- I didn't work for like a month or two. I just sort of chilled out and That's saw cool. friends and stuff, and which was great. But the having to get a job again didn't probably sink in until like October, November. I had stuff lined up, yeah. so I wasn't. It probably wasn't until this year that I kind of went, "Hmm, I better start making some money." <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Um, all right, so the reason why I asked you on the podcast was a little bit different to all that that whole story. Very different. So fill me in. Fill fill the listeners in. <laughs> okay, thrown under the bus. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, well, I guess my mum was diagnosed with dementia five years ago. Um, so I'm here to talk about dementia, what it is, how it works, uh, how it affects the body, the brain, the journey that you go on. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so what's, what's it, what was it like when, I've got so many questions. What was it like when your mum was diagnosed? Like, how did she deal with it? How did you guys deal with it? What was the kind of process like? I, she was actually, so she was diagnosed in December of 2014. I was in the Philippines um, on tour working. And then I went to the States for four weeks. So I wasn't even in the country. When we returned, Riley and I came back from um, the States. Shout out to Riley, by the way. <laughs> uh we drove up the driveway to see my parents for the first time and my mum came up to me and started crying and said, Jess, everything's changed. I've been diagnosed with dementia. Yeah. And I, I, didn't, I didn't have an um, emotional reaction to that at all. I just hugged her and said, it's okay, mum. That's just a 
that's just a title. We we knew this, mm. which we did. We yeah. very much knew that she had dementia. We we knew it. Um, now it's just been confirmed. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think it, it would have hit her far more than it hit us yeah. because, as I said, we you knew. We knew yeah, she started to show symptoms five years before diagnosis. Yeah. So we were um, we went on that journey well and truly before she was diagnosed. But when I think a doctor said to her face, you have dementia, that would have thrown her world because she watched her mother die yeah, from really dementia. Yeah, so she, th- the first thing that she kind of kept saying to me was, I don't want to turn into my mum, I don't want to turn into my mum. So I think it, it hit her much more than it hit us because we knew we were just waiting for... It was almost a, it was almost a sigh of relief yeah. that she'd been diagnosed because we were watching this woman change so dramatically we needed a reason, we needed an answer as to mm. why. Yeah. Yeah. What's what's the last I guess five years supporting her and going through it with her? What's that been like? A roller coaster. <laughs> yeah. I actually, um, someone said to me just the other day that it's similar to babies go through milestones, so they you know get their first tooth or whatever. A journey with dementia is like hitting milestones. So every three to six months, you will hit a new hurdle. You've got to figure out how to get over that hurdle, adapt yeah. to it, and then you you plateau again for another three to six months. Because there's like the stages, right? Then, yeah, yeah, yeah. But a disclaimer, every case is very different. Yeah. So this is everything that I'm about to say, and I'm I'm not a scientist. I'm not a I'm not a. Um, you've, you've dove pretty deep <laughs> over the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. This is everything I'm saying is from experience. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's important to understand that no matter what uh, illness or diagnosis someone has, there's you know a thousand different thousands of different ways that people can show the symptoms or or have have issues or, or whatever. So you know whether it's something really simple like a you know, hamstring injury, right? It might take some people three three weeks to get back, some people six weeks to get back. Dementia, you know, obviously completely different kettle of fish, but. You're going to have people that regress really quickly or some people that, you know, plateau for a long period of time. So, Yeah, definitely, yeah. because it's a very personality-based disease. So depending on what that person is like um, will depend on how it affects them. Uh, if they're aggressive, then uh, they will show even more so their aggression because they're losing their independence they're losing their ability to do everything for themselves yeah which is pretty insane what so what kind of person what was your what was your mom's personality like prior to prior. being diagnosed or being starting to have symptoms so <laughs> if you don't know me personally then um you won't know but i am she's very much like me she is loud <laughs> she was she was the life of the party. Not that I'm the life of the party, but self-praise. She, <laughs> ding. Um, she would get. Oh God, she'd get up and sing at parties and play guitar. And she was. She thought she was hilarious. She had a big personality, basically. And she's yeah. a little woman. She's five foot. She's tiny. Yeah. But her personality made up for that. But she was a chef, a seamstress. She was a bookkeeper. She was incredibly intelligent. 
Um, she kept herself overly busy and going back to what we're talking about, you know, too much stuff on your plate and burning out. This is her burnout. Yeah. I, you know, I personally believe because she did not stop. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So how's, how have you seen her personality change as this has progressed? Uh, I wouldn't say that her personality, like I see, st- still see glimmers of her humor yeah. and, um, yeah, her charisma, um, even though she can't form a sentence, you can still see that in her face and the way she, little nuances that she does that, um, with her body language, but she lost her confidence. It was a big hit to her confidence. She was a very confident person. And when someone else has to assist you to go to the bathroom or change you or put you in the shower, that's a massive hit to your ego. So uh, that was the biggest change in her personality, that she completely lost her confidence um, and became quite distressed a lot, uh, depression, um, kicked in and she never, I mean, I was only a teenager and a child, so I never saw that side of her if there was that side. Yeah. So, yeah. What, what were the, like, the main, the big, like, signs and, and kind of symptoms that you guys started seeing initially mm-hmm. and how has that progressed over the last 10 years or so? So she started to repeat herself a fair bit. Um, she would ask the same question a lot. Uh, she would make a cup of tea, forget that she'd made a cup of tea, put it in the microwave, and then forget it was in the microwave. So that was a big tell- telltale sign. We'd come home every day. There was bound to be a cup of tea in the microwave. Um, she would go down to the supermarket to get milk and she'd come back with, like, detergent or something and then she'd realise, oh, we need milk, and she'd go back to the supermarket. Yeah. Um, she was very slow driving the car. So we'd be going down. We lived on Baxter Turin Road and that's a 100K road and she'd go, like, 60, 70 Ks. Yeah. And being the ignorant, you know, self-absorbed teenager that I was, I didn't really read into that. But it's not until now that I go, oh, my goodness, that's why. Because she was so – she got really cautious driving. So there was that. Um, But mainly the repetition, repeating herself, because she was not – like I said, she was a bookkeeper. She was so intelligent that when she started to repeat herself, repeat stories – um, that's when your ears prick up and go, why is she doing that? Mm. Mm. So was it was it after kind of the diagnosis that you started diving into the literature and starting to learn about it? Or was it more as she progressed? As she progressed, I was at uni and I was in my own little world and I, yeah, and I think that associated to why because I moved out of home at 18 and that's when she started to decline. And I think she declined faster because she didn't have me. She waited on me hand and foot. (laughs) Like she took me to dancing, made all my dancing costumes. Like, and then I disappeared out of her life. So before diagnosis, I was very self-absorbed. I didn't pay attention. I just knew that my mum was repeating herself and would go, ugh, and get frustrated like the teenager that I was. Once she was diagnosed, I went, okay, what is this? Let's read into it. Because my nana had it. Mum obviously has it. I could get it. Mm. So that's where I went. Yeah. 
how do I prevent this? What is actually happening, happening yeah. to her brain? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's so? What are the like statistics around it being hereditary? Around is it? No, no? idea. Okay. They don't even know if it is hereditary. Yeah. Mum went to Royal Melbourne last year and she gave blood, and yeah. they um, they're going to take my blood and do a whole thing on the hereditary side of it because because they've got no idea mm. whether it's hereditary or not. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah. Do you do you think it's and obviously there's a few theories out around, like, why it happens. But do you think it's more, um, I guess, what am I looking for? Do you think it's more environmental or it's more, you know, um, it's what I'm looking for? Just nature. Do you think it's just the way we are? Oh, that's a very low, there's that's a huge question. Yeah, yeah. Um, trauma, technology, mm. there are so many factors that... Yeah. And there's not one answer, right? No, not at all. What, what, after, you know, either you diving into the research and, and spending time with your mum, obviously, over the last few years, what opinion have you formulated around either the causes or the reasons for it? And again, just an opinion, right? Uh, mum specifically? Yeah. She had an incredibly traumatic life. Um right from being a child and I, we won't go into that because mm, it's pretty that's heavy she mm. went through some heavy stuff um so i believe that trauma is a huge i mean there's statistics uh, that support trauma uh, there's a huge percentage of the 9-11 responders yeah. uh because that was over 10 years ago now uh, there's a huge percentage of them that now are being diagnosed with dementia well, because of the trauma of got, being a first responder yeah. to 9-11. Yeah, that's pretty heavy. So trauma is proven to be one of the, the reasons to um, develop dementia. However, I mean, it's not the one and only reason because I've met and I've spoken to people that either have it or have a loved one that have it and... and yeah, there's no... And, and I've also, on the other end of the spectrum, my 92-year-old grandmother that passed last year, she was as sharp as a tack. You could ask her any of our family's phone numbers and yeah. she would just, off the top of her head, tell you. Yeah. But she had a traumatic life as yeah. well. So it's not to say that if you you have traumatic life, you will get Just because there's correlation, doesn't yeah. there? I mean, that's the thing. So yeah. what is there... Like certain things, actions you're taking, certain things you're doing to, I guess, do your best to avoid this happening to you. To prevent. Yeah. Uh, yep. Definitely. Yeah. Um, coffee's a big one. So we were told at a seminar about two or three years ago that uh, caffeine takes twelve hours to um, to no longer be on the brain, and there's a chemical that flushes through your brain when you're in a deep sleep. Now, if you have caffeine, you um, if you have a caffeinated drink at, say, midday, yep. it'll still be on your brain at midnight. And therefore, you don't go into a deep sleep, which means that that chemical that flushes through your brain can't do its job. And if you don't go into a deep sleep at all yep. in your eight hours, yeah. So I, as soon as I heard that, I stopped. I was having like four coffees a day um, and I could have one at like 4 p.m., 5 p.m. And still sleep. 
Yeah, and yeah. yeah. Uh, but now I have one before, I, I try my best to have one before 10, but I do not have one after midday. Yeah. Um, and same goes with alcohol. I think alcohol has the same the same effect that it stays on yeah. the brain. Um, and sleeping, getting adequate sleep. So trying to get more than eight hours sleep a night. I certainly do that. Um, other than that, to be honest, there aren't huge... I mean, they talk about a, a Mediterranean diet. So if you eat a lot of um, uh, tomato-based foods, olive oil, all of that kind of... That's supposedly yeah, there's, there's proven to help. correlation around like some high, certain high-fat foods and brain health, mm-hmm. um, which, is, which is really interesting. Yeah, omega-3, like fish... Um, yeah, so what you eat. But, uh, I mean, they, they always say, oh, do brain games, like as in crosswords and yeah. all this kind of thing. And I, my dad said that some scientist from somewhere said at this seminar that they don't do squat. They mm. don't help. You can do as many brain games as you want. They're not going to prevent you from getting dementia. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting one because... We don't know. Mm. <laughs> and, like, you know, that scientist could be wrong or mm. it could be right. Yeah, um, exactly. We, we're not going to know yet. What's, what's your mum like with her own awareness around it now? After Now? Yeah. Right now? Yeah, like at the moment. No awareness no whatsoever. Awareness, yeah. No awareness of where she is, um, usually who people are. So depending on the day, she might not know who I am. Um, majority of the time she does, but yeah. I know that there will be a point in time where she won't anymore. Um, she occasionally knows who my dad is, but other than that, you don't get much out of her. If it was anyone else that went to see her that knew her for years and years, she wouldn't respond. Um, her awareness, I was thinking about this just the other day. Um, the pivotal moment of when her awareness changed was last year, she went into a nursing home for respite for two weeks in October so that was 2017, she uh, she was very aware of where she was. Yeah. She knew that she was in a nursing home. Yeah. And um, she said to me oh, about five or seven years earlier, please don't put me in a nursing home. So she knew where she was. And then she went, into, she went back into that nursing home for another two weeks of respite in January, yeah. so a few months later. And she had no awareness of where she was. So I think through those couple of... So that's four years after diagnosis um, of where her awareness became no more. She didn't realise, which is, in a way, for us, it was kind of good because it uh, made it slightly easier for us to put her in there. Yeah. Um, because when she knew where she was, it was even more heartbreaking to say goodbye yeah. to her each day. So. Yeah. Was that, so it was, because obviously it's all incredibly difficult and hard mm. to deal with, but was that middle period where there'd be bouts of awareness and bouts of not, like not knowing where she was, was that the hardest part for you guys to support her through? Um, yeah, I think so because there were, like I said, there was depression, so she would, she did really struggle with the coming to terms of um, me assisting with going to the bathroom and getting her dressed and she would apologise a lot um, because she thought that she was being a burden. Yeah. 
um, because she was also a very independent woman. Like, she was the, the breadwinner. Like, she was so... Um, I don't need no man kind of woman. Like yeah. she, she raised me with that kind of mentality. She was yeah. always like, find a man that respects you and blah, blah, blah. And she, she loves Riley, by the way. <laughs> Thank God. I was worried for a second. <laughs> she, looked, she saw him just about two weeks ago and she looked up at him and she smiled and she had that a face of recognition. Like she knew who he was, which yeah, was awesome. really, yeah, she loves him. So the, um, that's good tick. We, we all do. <laughs> But, um, yeah, I think it was certainly difficult, but it wasn't the hardest part about it, I don't yeah. think. Yeah. Is there one hardest part or is it just the whole thing? Oh, heavy. Um, I guess the hardest part is that you're essentially, people might hate me for saying this, that you're mourning the death of a person that's not dead. Yeah. So, mm. yeah, that's... It's it's a tough and like heavy's heavy's a good word, right? Because it's it's important to feel that and to to see that and to experience that. Um, and obviously, it's like it's an emotional thing to talk about. Mm. But is there how how do you like you know? There's the emotional response and there's the intellectual response. Like intellectually, you can say that and believe it and feel it. But then there's the emotional like feeling of what what is it actually like to, you know, see your mum and have her not recognise you. Hmm. Um. It was pretty awful, but like the thing is, is that ten years ago, when I sat in the nursing home and spoke to my nana, mm. and sat with my mum watching my mum watch my nana. Yeah. I, even back then or just a little bit after that, knew that I, I very first voiced it when I was 19. I said, my mum will forget who I am. Yeah. Bear in mind, that's four years before she was diagnosed. Yeah. So I've known for a very long time yeah. that my mum would forget who I am. Doesn't necessarily make it easier though, does it? Oh my God. I really thought that it would, <laughs> but it doesn't. Yeah. It absolutely doesn't. It Nothing prepares you at all. Mm. No, no um, nothing that anyone says, you know, you could have a manual on how to do this yeah. and how to get through it and it still would not, like, make it less of a challenge. Yeah. Seth Rogen um, has a great quote, and I know you love quotes. Um, he's well, don't a, pigeonhole me as a quote. Okay, okay, you're <laughs> the right. The quote man. You're right, I like quotes. Um, and, oh, gosh, I'm not going to get it correct word for word, but it's something it's like... paraphrase, I'll say, your quote. <laughs> it, you don't know how brutal the disease is until you see it firsthand. Yeah. And I think that's absolutely true because I could explain it until the cows come home, but... I don't think people really ever get it until... Because she could be having a good day and you yeah. see her on a good day. Yeah. And then she has 50 bad days after that good day. So it's so... We've had to prove to Centrelink, to doctors, you know, she has to sit there and they have to ask her questions and Dad can't answer for her because she's essentially got to prove that she... And this was early on, that she had a... 
a brain disease so that we could get some form of um what do you call it a disability pension because my dad had to he had to stop working to care for her full time um and that's incredible she could sit there and a doctor would say what's your name and she would say christine and then the doctor would say, where do you live, Christine? And she would go, yes. And then we, blah, 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 and yeah. literally it's gibberish. Yeah. Some words will be coherent. And it, and so you're watching the first 10 seconds could be, oh, she's fine. She's mentally sane. And yeah. then the next, the next few minutes it's like, oh, okay, right. So yeah. it's very, it's so, I used to get really, um, embarrassed not embarrassed but i felt awkward taking her into um, the disability toilets the disabled toilets because if you looked at my mom two three years ago you would think what's wrong there's nothing wrong but the woman can't sit herself down or take her pants off by herself or lock the door even and you 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 kind of want to carry a sign around with you and go yeah you know Please, please be respectful. This woman has to. Well, I think I think if anything, it, it teaches. It should teach people that everyone's dealing with something, whether it's you know, like, and it's all relative, right? Like, whether it's dementia and you know, your mum can't sit down by herself mm-hmm. or lock the door, or whether it's you know, death of a loved one, or or whether it's you know, stuff going on at school. Like, yep. we all deal with shit, mm-hmm. and most of the time, it's not a physical impairment that we can see. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. <clears throat> someone rocks up in a moon boot and they've rolled their ankle then mm-hmm. you're gonna oh shit what's wrong like how like are you okay and all that kind of stuff but you know someone's dealing with depression they rock up and they've got that fake smile on their face we're not going to ask them you how do. it is so exactly. it's yeah it's such an important thing to understand for society to realize that everyone suffers i think that's the biggest thing that i have learned yeah. across the past 10 years is because my dad used to say to me all the time when I was a child, the world doesn't revolve around you, Jess. And it wasn't until I went through this that I went, oh, oh my God, yeah. the world absolutely doesn't revolve around me. Yeah. But not only that, you do, you you could meet a stranger on the street and you've got, their mother could have passed away last week mm. from cancer. Yeah, you you know. don't know. Yeah. And that, and I it's kind of a new lease on life that you look at life in such a different perspective. Yeah. 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 That's, yeah, that's, that's insane. What, so you're, you've kind of had a bit of a, a mission lately of, or lately over the last few years of like pushing this awareness. Mm-hmm. How have you done that? And why have you done that? Uh, I'll start with why. Well, how I've just sort of it's Dementia Awareness Month, so September is always Dementia Awareness Month, yeah. and um, I just kind of pop some stories on my Instagram uh, about experiences that I've had, and the reason why I do that is because I think that although the statistics are so high, I had never known. I didn't know that people of 42, 39, there's a 6- and 10-year-old in Europe that have dementia. It is not an elderly disease. Yeah, because that's that's what everyone expects or thinks of. Exactly, because they think Alzheimer's or they think dementia, Mm. and context, dementia is the umbrella term uh, for over 100 forms of dementia, and Alzheimer's is the biggest one. Yeah. But so many people are not educated about 
what it is, I felt I felt like I hold the golden ticket in a way that I've got all of this information. Yeah. Why not share sure. it? Because there's so many people that are going through this journey completely blind. They've got no idea what they're in for. Yeah. And if someone was to say to me five years ago, it's going to get really tough to get dressed. Here's a couple of tips that will yeah. make it easier. Um, I would have... I would hope. Yeah. Gone. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. I'll apply that. Yeah, definitely. So I think at the beginning of this month, the first couple of days, I found it really difficult. I thought, oh God, how am I going to get through the month? Mm. But I just got out of bed in the morning and I did it because I thought I've got an obligation to do this because there are so many people going through it, but they don't talk about it. Because I can understand if they don't want to. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, it is um, it is a hell of a journey and there are so many obstacles. And I think if someone was out there making it that little bit easier, then... And it's a win. Why not? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so what's... Obviously, what are we, 20 days through the month? <clears throat> Have you... And obviously, like, these kind of things, you do it to raise awareness and to help other people deal with it. Have you learned anything more about either dementia or yourself or your mum throughout those last these last twenty days of like diving into it and actually projecting it out there? Um, I don't know. Um, I think of new things all the time. Like constantly, I'm recalling things that uh, that she did three, four years ago, and I'll think, oh, I forgot that she used to do those odd things. Yeah. Like hide her jewellery under the bed. She yeah. She thought we were being robbed all the time. Yeah. She went through a phase where she was just misplacing things, and so she thought we were being robbed. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I've specifically – it's actually – funnily enough the past month has been probably the hardest of the year and not because it's been awareness month but because she's just recently gone into a home permanently yeah and so I've been having to deal with that so yeah that's been um challenging they just so happen to fall within the same month but yeah, I don't know if there's anything specific that's come up over the past twenty days that's new. Yeah, um, I did. I was listening to a podcast and I did um, uh, called "Crap It Happy" with Tiff, Tiff Hall, yeah. and she talks to a psychologist and she told a story about all that scientific study in the 1930s and 40s nuns when they went into the convent they had to write biographies and they also had to donate their brains to science and they would compare these scientists would compare their brains with their biographies and they found that the the negative biographies were associated with brains that had dementia um, and they also died seven to ten years earlier than brains that didn't have dementia or Alzheimer's. But the ones that didn't have Alzheimer's were paired with biographies that were incredibly positive, which was incre- very interesting. But there was one particular nun who her biography was overly positive. It was incredibly positive. And she lived a really long life. She lived into her 80s. 
And when she died and they looked at her brain, bear in mind context, she didn't have, she didn't die with Alzheimer's. Yep. She didn't even, she didn't show a single symptom. But when they looked at her brain after death, she was in her final stage of Alzheimer's. Wow. But didn't show any symptoms. But didn't show a symptom. Mm. And her biography was incredibly positive. Yeah. And apparently she lived a really positive life. And so therefore her brain, she's essentially fought off yeah. Alzheimer's just with living a positive life. Pretty cool. Which is incredible. Yeah. It's just amazing. And again, I think that kind of ties in with, well, it doesn't, a little bit of a tangent, but meditation and how meditation has been proven to, you can change your DNA by meditating mm. because you can adapt the, the, the whatever the, the it things. is, the things. Yeah, it's, and I've been, because I'm reading a book at the moment and I've been like fighting in my head whether I actually mention it or not, but, you know, the side that says it's going to mention one, um, it's called Biology of Belief. Mm -hmm. so, it's, so it's about how much your mindset and environment affects what happens to you as you grow older. So it talks about um, obviously lifestyle, lifestyle diseases and diseases stuff of, yeah, diseases like dementia and Alzheimer's. Or dementia, Alzheimer's. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it talks about how important it is to understand the need for community and the need for positivity and the need for collaboration um, and communication and things like that. It's called Biology yeah. of Belief by Bruce Lipton. It's um, it's awesome. I'm like halfway through it, but it's just the importance of the way you think will lead more to the way you are than the things that are outside of our control. Um, for those that aren't readers, there's I think there's two one-hour lectures from him online um, mm -hmm. talking about it all. Um, but it's just one of those books that, you know, because I'm like diving deeper into the spirituality side of things, even though I come from that scientific, you know, I's dotted, T's crossed area. Um, but just the important, we, we don't understand consciousness at all. We don't know where it comes from. Uh, we don't understand the implications of the way we think yet. And this is a book that kind of starts diving into that. Mm -hmm. um, and this is someone who's research over you know his career has dived into that. So it's uh, it's really it's a really interesting one. And that <clears throat> there's studies like the 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 nun one that just shows that you know what we think directly influences who we are or mm -hmm. what we are. Yeah. Um, and how our body deals with things like the placebo effect is obviously one of those effects that is has been proven to to, to influence so many different studies. Um, and the audiobook I'm reading at the moment is called You Are the Placebo. So, you know, I'm kind of diving into a few around that same same area. Um, but does it, does, my, this is the longest question ever, but does reading things like that and seeing things like that and hearing about that study, does that give you hope or, I don't know if hope's the right word. Cause yes, that, I'll say yes. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, because I have... Um, I've always been one for, oh, meditation's great. But now that I've heard the science behind it, yeah. I, I put it into my daily yeah, practice. Yeah, do it. Good. Um, and also the positive thinking thing, I just, if I can, if my chromosomes or um, it's not chromosomes, it's the, the mutation, if I've got the mutation. Yep. 
which I could vary, there's a high chance that I've got it. Yeah. Um, let's say I do have it, but I could fight it off mm. with a combination of things of, you know, not having a coffee after 10 and yeah. meditating and yeah. living a positive <laughs> lifestyle, then... Why not? Why not? <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm also only 26, so I'm, you know, hoping that they'll find a cure before, you yeah. know. But, like, but that might be the cure, just that yeah. that lifetime of positivity. And, you know, we look at... I know this is probably going off a little tangent, but we look at, like, diseases and we go, we need to find a cure. Mm. But... So much of a cure is the all of the things that lead up to you being diagnosed with that disease. So I think it's that you know positivity and you know consistent movement and exercise and you know challenging your brain. Like maybe brain games aren't the way to challenge your brain. Maybe it's conversation and and discussion, or or maybe it's just connecting with a community of people mm -hmm. um, to actually. That's know, a big one. Connecting change. with a community of people because. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm pretty firm believer that mum has lived a very long life with dementia. The statistics are kind of that after diagnosis you live for, you know, three to five years, may, maybe a bit longer. Yeah. But, I mean, she's in her fifth year after diagnosis, but she's been living it with it for close to ten. But I think because we've kept her in the community, yeah. we she's lived with my dad, you know, ever since she was diagnosed. Yeah. Um, and we talk to her, we yeah. continue to talk to her, even if her responses aren't coherent, yeah. because if you make them, if you include them, then they will li live longer. Yeah. Their brain will last longer. Mm. And then she has a purpose to keep going, right? Yeah. And like you mentioned, mentioned early on that when you moved out of home that was when she started to decline right mm -hmm. like she had her purpose was to help you be the best Jess you could be mm -hmm. um, and you know, there's been a lot of studies around Japanese culture they never retire so um, I can't remember what the there's one certain part of Japan that has the longest life expectancy in the world and they never retire they continually contribute and have a purpose to either their selves their families their community um and you know i think that's a that's an area where we in western culture miss out on like that whole like i want to retire when i'm 65 thing or seven you know 70 or whatever then what like you're just gonna hang out and sit on a beach yeah and what's your drink, brain gonna drink, do yeah exactly and drink mm. cocktails and then you know 30 cocktails down a weekend you're just like well this sucks mm. <laughs> so I, th I don't know i think that for me i look at it a you know, we can only deal with things that we've experienced, but I kind of look at my future and go, well, I never want to retire. I want to cultivate a life where I love what I do every day so much that I want to keep doing it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that will allow me to hopefully create an environment where I'm able to keep contributing. And like you said before, you want to be acting while you're 80. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like yeah. I want to be you know, contributing to my community when I'm 80, 90, 100, 120 maybe. We'll see how we go. Who knows what will happen. Um, is there a community of people that you've been able to lean on and get help from either, uh, I guess, dementia-related, so it might be a support group or something like that, or just the people you love? We, so uh, when we were living in Devon Meadows, we approached the council to seek help. Yeah. Um, and 
you know, with no disrespect to that council, they did squat. That was there was no one to yeah. talk to. When mum and dad moved down to Venus Bay, that was um, whatever. Gippsland Shire, I don't even know where the council is, but yeah. they were fantastic That's because cool. they put us in connection with Dementia Australia and the um, the support groups that they have. Awesome. So there's uh, we don't go to them anymore because it's kind of it's really tricky to sort of mum sleeps a lot during the day if she's sleeping. Yeah. Uh, but when we did go to them, there was one in one faggy that was just a general uh, carers and dementia patients would come and we'd all have lunch together and there would be yeah. music and it was great. There was another one in Packnam that was um, specific to early onset dementia, so um, prior to 65, so that was anyone that was um, younger than 65 with dementia. And going to that one in particular was really challenging for mm. me the first time because yeah. you're sitting in a room with just clones of your parents. Yeah, that's hard. And it really hit hard that we were not the only ones going through this. And that was, like, I know my mum and and I've watched my mum go through it. So, therefore, I am not immune, but, you know, there's that feeling. But if you see 20 to 30 other versions of your mum in a room, yeah. it's like, so oh, heavy. my God, my heart. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it was a fantastic... Um, uh, platform or, you know, avenue to meet other people that are going through the same thing. And it was really great for my dad to chat yeah. to other men that are caring for their wives, yeah. you know, or women caring for their husbands because they ha could talk about the struggles that they're going through and, and give each other tips yeah. on how to make it easier. Yeah. So I really, yeah, their experiences become, become kind of like foresight for yeah. Everyone else. But yeah, for the next person. What's it been like to, I guess, see your dad go through it looking after his partner? Oh, my God, Lachlan. I'm sorry. <sighs> I had to ask that question. The worst thing in the world. Yeah. Yeah. How does, does he, is, are you able to have conversations with him about it all? Um. <laughs> I'm sorry. He's broken me. Yeah. Um. I knew you'd <laughs> I knew I knew you'd manage it somehow. He is a very strong man and he doesn't show his emotions at all because he's mad. <laughs> um so we don't really talk about it. Yeah. And I think that I, I he'll probably listen to this. But I think we don't really talk about it because I think he wants to if he shows that he's being weak, um, he he might think that it's making it harder for me. Yeah. So he doesn't want to burden me by showing his weakness. I think that is the yeah. mindset he comes from. Um, but I've never seen someone love someone so much. It's pretty amazing. Mm. Do you... Do you think that if you were able to have those conversations with him do you think it would make it easier or harder and because we you can never really know until you have it but you know, it might be the best thing to not necessarily talk about it all the time but then again it might help you guys work through it yeah i don't know um 
I have no idea. To be honest, at this stage, I don't really want to find out yeah. the answer to that question. I think we kind of give each other the smile and the nod and we both know on some level yeah. how the other one is feeling. Something's the best. Not necessarily needing to talk about it. Yeah, I think it would be um, just as heartbreaking for him to watch his daughter lose his mother, her mother. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Mm, I don't nice. know. It's kind of nice not just... I don't know. You don't need an answer. Yeah. Cool. All right, I've got a few questions for you to finish off. Okay. What are you grateful for? Still having my mum. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have a lot of friends that, you know, they lost their mum young. Um, and she's still here, although we can't hold a conversation or go shopping together or sit in a cafe and enjoy it. She's still, yeah. She still, she still giggles and she still <laughs> lights up and says, oh, my Jessie. <laughs> that's awesome. And that's, yeah. Nice. What advice would you give 15-year-old Jess? Oh, how long you got? Um, open your eyes. The world doesn't revolve around <laughs> you. Yeah. Mm, take the cotton wool out of your ears and put it in your mouth. <laughs> good. I like that. Mm. That's good advice. Eric Thompson told me that. That's good advice for everyone, I think. I asked for his advice on set one day. I said, what would you, like, what's your advice to anyone new, you know, a new budding actor? Yeah. And he said, take the cotton wool out of your ears and put it in your mouth. That's fantastic. I'll never forget that. <laughs> That's exceptional advice. I'm going to use that a lot. <laughs> What? <clears throat> or have you had a defining moment? In terms of just everything. Just everything. Yeah. Um. Oh gosh. I don't know. Um. I think I've had a pivotal moment, and I think it was only recently. I can't quite. Um, pinpoint when it was but I think I became an adult about a month or two ago yeah <laughs> I think I finally made the transition <laughs> Good. because amongst everything that's been happening you know you you start to realize what is important in life and it all kind of goes back to that you're on TV and you have an apartment. Mm. You know, what more do you want? It's like, ah. So much more. That's, yeah. You could strip that away from me and I would say, I'll have my mother back, thanks. Yeah. You know, a healthy brain. Um, but, yeah, there wasn't any one specific moment where I went, I'm an adult now. It's just <laughs> kind of... Uh, a lot of listening to podcasts, <laughs> a lot of research. Yeah, it, it helps. That's why I love the podcast, I guess, medium, the platform, because mm. it, it allows you to not just hear a snippet of someone's story. It allows you to hear the whole 
long form, you know, warts and all, the good stuff, the bad stuff. And you can, you know, some of the, some of the most, uh, I don't know how to turn this, not the most basic, but the, some of the simplest podcasts I've done or I've listened to have been the ones that have been made the biggest impact to some people. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be the, you know, the crazy climbing mountain stories or the, or the, you know, stupid achievement. It's the simple shit of just, you know, loving your family and making the most of every second that people get the most value from. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think also the fact that um, Riley and I moved into this new apartment just recently and it's really sort of settled not just the the both of us but I, f- I feel far more grounded now, yeah. which I think attributes to the becoming an adult thing <laughs> because I don't... I no longer just think about myself, which I did for a very long time. I always thought, what am I doing? Where am I going? It's not me, 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 or I, I, I. It never is and it never will be. Yeah. I think as we get older, it becomes less me, me, you know, because once you add kids and once you add, you know, family and everything. So I, yeah, yeah, definitely that going back again, I'll say it for the, 500th time the world doesn't revolve around you I think that was when that light bulb went off and that was the moment where I went yeah I think I need to relish in the smaller things more and less in the when am I going to get my next big break kind of it's yeah you know it might be important to my career but it's not important to my whole life yeah, the joy is definitely in the little things. Yeah, um, and appreciate yeah, and appreciation of the little things, mm. and awareness of the little things. Apart from your parents, who do you look up to and why? Um, it's corny, but I I look up to Riley. I think he makes me a better person. Good. Um, because he brings a lot to me that um. He teaches me a lot. I think we sort of teach each other a lot, you know. Um, That's the way a partnership should be. Yeah. Um, I want to say my dancing teacher. Yeah. The, um, her name's Rebecca Anderson and she, well, I mean, I haven't taught, I haven't learnt from her in years, like a decade, but yeah. I always looked up to her and I think I sort of... Uh, I took so many little things away from how she taught and how she held herself as just a human being. And I went, I want to be like you because she was so decent and respectful and she just, she respected everyone, no matter whether you were the best dancer or the worst or she's just a really genuine, authentic person. And I really aspire and continue to aspire to be that version of myself I like that that's cool that someone that you know you haven't seen for 10 years can make such an impact mm. on who you want to be mm. last question if this was the last time you saw me what would be it won't be just settle down <laughs> settle down if this is the last time you saw me what would be the one piece of tangible advice you would want me to live the rest of my life with can it be something I've already said of course it can Happiness lies in an atmosphere of growth. Good. I like it. 
how can people get around, I guess, dementia awareness and you and all the cool stuff you're doing? Um, well, it is the 20th of September, but I will still be... Uh, is it September the... next year too? Well, yeah, true. <laughs> um, I can follow my Instagram, which is at Jedmain. Jedmain, good. <laughs> or just type in Jessica Redmain. Um... I've got a vlog that I'm going to be popping up soon awesome. that my I did with my little cousin because she's got her, her own little vlog. Uh, I'll have a podcast coming out next year, but the title of that is T- TVC. Yeah. We'll pump, pump it up when it gets out. Yeah. We'll do another episode. Yeah. Um, but in terms of dementia, you can always, if you want to learn more, you can always go to DementiaAustralia.org um, if you feel uh, the desire to donate. You can always <laughs> donate to that yeah. because, I mean, they're constantly trying to find a cure, obviously, and even prevention. And um, But they've also got lots of tips. So if you are going through the journey um or even if you want to seek out counseling through through dementia australia which um i need to practice what i preach i need to do that (laughs) getting around to it um yeah they've got a lot of avenues that you can go down that you can reach out to people and they've got spreadsheets of tips and tricks on all sorts of different things so yeah perfect thanks coming on thank you very much for having me i'm sorry for making you cry (laughs) 